0: Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, we give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? I'm doing pretty good, man. How you been? I haven't seen you in about four days or something like that, which is... Uh, I kind of miss you, man. We're going to have to yeah. catch up again.
1: Yeah, it's been so long. I don't even remember what you look like right now.
0: <laughs> so, uh, we had South Florida Code Camp this weekend. Yeah, we did, man. We had a great time, too, right? Yeah, man. It's always the highlight, I think, of the South Florida tech community. Over 1,000 people came through the doors, which still kind of blows my mind that we always bring out like this four-digit numbers to just a local code camp.
1: Yeah, the numbers are crazy, man. But, you know, we have a lot of folks from in town, a lot of folks from out of town. And so it's always good to see the community come together and, you know, get together to learn, to have fun and, you know, just enjoy each other's company.
0: Yeah, I actually have some statistics here. We had 88 sessions. We had 67 different speakers. I'm a numbers guy, so I look at this stuff afterwards. And it just, like, wow there's a lot we had 16 different tracks this year (laughs) and uh, for those who were there you looked at the schedule and you're like wow well that looks good and that looks good and that looks good and what do i do i want to go to all these things
1: yeah it's it's so it's so hard to choose from and particularly when you have two talks you want to go to that's in the same hour right It's it's like ah which one do i go to yeah, but but you know what usually happens? I just end up hanging out outside. I'm like, I'm not gonna go to any talk. I'm just gonna hang out outside with everybody else and and have some conversation.
0: You know, that's that's my key, right? That's my secret. Is you know, even though there's a lot of great stuff going on in the sessions, kind of the real uh, goodness of Code Camp is being able to talk to a lot of these speakers and people from the community who've kind of know this. The secret is you kind of hang out outside and just have great conversations afterwards. They call it the hallway track.
1: (laughs) Nice, nice. So it looks like you're gonna have an opportunity to do some more of that at some other conferences we have coming up, right?
0: Yeah, so WordCamp Miami is coming up on March 24th through the 26th. On Sunday, they'll have a special Learn JavaScript Deeply track. And I know I'll be there just hanging out and trying to grok more about JavaScript. So that is a great event. It's man, it's one of the best run event that I've actually ever seen. Paid for or not. It's they they do such a fantastic job. So that's WordCamp Miami on March twenty fourth or twenty sixth. And then a couple weeks later, you and I will both be at Orlando Code Camp. We'll both be speaking again. And that will be on April eighth. And that's a an, you know, it's it's kind of like our sister. Uh, code Camp, the South Florida Code Camp. It's kind of like we're in Orlando Code Camp. We, we're we kind of sisters. We're usually about a month apart. Tons of fun. They're there. And lots of great people will be there. They've got some phenomenal speakers in Orlando. And it's well worth your time to to go up there and see what's going on.
1: Yeah, definitely. And also what we have coming up is on June the 19th to 22nd, O'Reilly is actually having Flunconf, And they actually gave us a very special code. It's PC away. So use PCOA whenever you register for O'Reilly FluidConf, and you can save 20%. Now, you might be wondering, so so what is this FluidConf thing that he's talking about, right? Yeah, it kind of was. So this is O'Reilly's web development, modern web conference. So you're going to go learn about web services and APIs. You'll learn about front-end frameworks, libraries, tools, cross-platform development, mobile development... Everything had, has to do with the web. You can go there and have, you know, go to a session or go to a workshop or, you know, just kind of hang out in the crowd and, and find out what everybody's doing. So again, check that out. That's FluentConf. Conf. That's going to be June 19th to 22nd, and it's in uh, San
0: Jose. Excellent. So who are we talking to today?
1: So today we're talking to Zach Burt. So Zach began programming with QBasic at age nine and immediately found a passion. Since 2003, he's been working in Silicon Valley, New York City in an individual contributor and leadership roles. In 2007, he launched his software consultancy business after his PHP application, Lame Factor, was acquired. He is passionate about open source, both in submitting pull requests and launching open source projects. He currently lives in Manhattan, where he enjoys playing basketball and meeting new and diverse people.
0: This episode was recorded on February 1st, 2017, and now our conversation with Zach Burt. And now, Away From the Keyboards Feature Conversation.
2: Uh, My name is Zach Burt, and I'm here today as a special guest from the show. Hello, everyone.
1: Hi, what's going on, Zach? Welcome to uh, Away From the Keyboard.
2: I guess you guys are in South Florida, huh?
1: Yeah, we are. Where are you you located?
2: I'm in New York City. Oh, nice. Ooh. I'm I'm working on a new program in South Florida at uh, the Florida Vocational Institute, fvi.edu, and they're in Miami. They're piloting this uh, two-week training course that I built to teach developers how to break into consulting.
1: Oh, that's pretty interesting. So, and, I'm, and I'm guessing you're a full-time consultant,
2: right? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, these days, uh, this... Uh, Teaching about consulting project is taking up a lot of my time, but uh, for the past 10 years, consulting has been the number one income source for me, Uh, building apps for uh, mostly startups. So let's
1: do this. Before we start to talk a lot about your consulting and the projects that you're working on right now, I want you to tell me a little bit about where did your journey with technology really start?
2: When I was in fourth grade, there was a contest in school to memorize pi. And I was part of the Pi Memorizing Contest, and I memorized it at about a hundred decimal places. Oh, and okay. the, pff, I nerd alert! And the the principal of the school uh, sort of pulled me aside and said, "I wrote a computer program that teaches uh, you how to calculate Pi, and if you're interested, I can I can show you the book, and you can try it out." So I got my start in QBasic, working on this program to calculate pi. And from there, I have an aunt named Corey, who's an engineering manager at Hewlett-Packard. And she showed me a lot of steps along the way. Uh, From there, my parents were very supportive of my interest in this. They sent me to a computer camp where I learned a lot. And then I started just learning online. I um, was really into Perl for a long time, and I found a passion in building chatbots for AOL Instant Messenger in Perl. Really? I made my first dollars on the internet uh, spamming porn as a teenager using oh AOL God. Instant Messenger.
0: Jeez. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Way to make an internet a better place. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh for some yeah absolutely it's, funny you, it's
1: it's really funny you said that because last year it seems like chatbots and um you know these 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 types of things are are kind of just blown up right now and so you've been building these things or you have built these things like years ago
2: yeah there's definitely a renaissance. I remember when I first got started, there was this thing called Eliza and it was like a system for automatically responding to chats um, and uh, before that it was just um just working on rough heuristics based on uh, the user's input and Uh, Being able to connect to any sort of chat protocol was always kind of interesting to me. I built all sorts of chatbots, and uh, it's definitely cool that there's a renaissance in interest in chat right now. Um, It's not clear to me that the technology has really improved that much in the past, gosh, I don't know, 15 plus years. But um, it's definitely interesting. It's like there's always cycles in technology. That's what the graybeards always tell me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, right. And so, when did your when did your professional career in software actually start?
2: I got a professional start in software uh, when I was probably nineteen. I built a Facebook app in PHP, and it went viral. And uh, it was one of the first apps on the Facebook platform. And I definitely benefited from a first mover advantage. To be completely honest, my app was pretty low quality if you really want to think about it. It didn't offer that much functionality, but because I was there first and I acted with some initiative there, I was able to get very lucky and my app was very popular. Uh, It was acquired a few months after I built it, but then everyone started reaching out to me asking me to build them Facebook apps. And that's how I got my start as a professional software developer. I didn't major in computer science or anything like that. I was just self-taught and always interested in that.
1: that's kind of interesting, so your journey began with building facebook Facebook apps essentially, and I remember a couple of years ago that was that was a huge thing for people to be doing. Do you still do a lot of that today?
2: You know, I don't, but I'll say this: there's always a new trend that's popping up that everyone wants to get in on uh, for you know for a few years ago it was Facebook. Um, these days it's things like, uh, people want their own chatbots. you know, and before that it was everyone wanted their own mobile app and, you know, maybe now it's, they want like a react JS based front end. There's always something hot that's in high demand. And, um, if you're interested, I recommend just finding a passion project that you want to build. I've never been able to really get into too much, just. Deciding on a technology and just rolling up my sleeves and learning it for its own sake, I've always really been motivated by wanting to make something.
1: Outside of you making your Facebook apps early on, what are some of the things that you've built that have really kind of, you know, pushed your passion forward a little bit?
2: Oh, totally. So in 2010, I built this app called Compassion Pit. Uh, it was a, a chat application that was a one-on-one chat. And you could join either as a listener to listen to someone or as a venter to talk about what's bothering you. And you got paired with the opposite type. So if you were a venter, you could get paired with a listener. If you're a listener, you get paired with a venter. And the idea was it was an anonymous one on one chat system where you could share whatever is bothering you without it biting you in the neck, so to speak. Uh, like, for example, Like, if you're the leader of a big team, you really can't go around complaining too much, but you could go on Compassion Pit and log on anonymously and sort of get it off your chest to someone who would listen. And um, that was a project that I worked with a bunch of people on that really um, moved my passion for programming forward. We were able to make a big impact. Um, And at one point, we had about 100,000 Users a month for about ten minutes each, and wow. I felt like that was a big impact. It didn't make any money, um, but uh, it did make an impact, and I was grateful for that.
1: Sure. So, so Zach, you know, I'm reading your bio, and you've been programming for twenty years, and I'm guessing ten of those years has been with you being a consultant, and you, you know, teaching developers about consulting and the consulting business. Like, tell me about the transition from you being, uh, you know, uh, an employee, right, or you being a software developer to you being a consultant. You know, what was that transition like for you, and what was the learning experience like for you?
2: Uh, I'm going to tell you something really counterintuitive. I was a consultant before I was a software engineer. Oh. So, yeah, I was making... So it was 2007, I was making $85 an hour as a consultant. I hadn't even graduated from college. I had tons of demand for my time, tons of demand. And then I graduated from school and I tried to get a job as a software developer, as an employee at a much lower rate, and I couldn't get a job. They kept quizzing me on things like uh, computer science concepts, you know, Uh, algorithms, big O notation. notation, Exactly. They, you know, they kept busting my chops about those concepts. And I wasn't able to get a job as a software engineer for a long time because despite being a, a, what I consider would mostly an effective consultant, creating good results for clients, building them things from the ground up that brought them lots of business value. Uh, it, There was a lot of hesitation. I wasn't able to get a job as a software engineer because I lacked the CS uh, fundamentals and, and stuff like that. So, the way I actually got my first software engineering job was I applied to just be a QA person at a software company. I got my foot in the door that way. And then, you know, they wanted me to just like click around after the site got deployed each time and try to find some bugs with it. But I got bored of that real quick. So I just wrote a Selenium script to automatically, uh, check the, the site for expected functionality. And, you know, all of a sudden they were like, we want to promote you to a software engineer. And I just thought it was so funny because if I tried to be a software engineer there with them, the traditional way they, you know, there's no way they would have let me in because they would have uh, quizzed me on things that really didn't matter. The hiring process is it, tremendously broken. I, ju- I just feel very bad about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I wouldn't totally say it doesn't matter, but I think, I think the weights that they put on, you know, the type of expectations they put on developers is a little unbalanced, right? Kind of like in your position, like so, you know, you got a position as a as a QA person and graduated, I guess you could say, into being an engineer. Where if you came from the other way, it, you know, wasn't, you know, a smooth pass for you. You know what I mean? And so it's it's almost like, well, if you took that same test that you gave to people coming in and you gave it to your engineers that you have today, like how many of them would pass your test? (laughs) Right. right? Yeah. You know, and so if if all of your developers on staff cannot pass this test that you're giving to people on the outside, then, well, what's the point? Like, why are you even bothering to, to evaluate on this level, right? Particularly, too, so if it's not things that you're not going to be doing every day and it's not going to be part of your process. So I, I think from that perspective, it's very unbalanced with the way that people try and vet out candidates.
0: Man, I, I see it like a couple different ways, right? So, like, you know, like a couple different buckets is one, you've got managers that um, they probably Aren't very skilled in coding, you know, in any way. So they're like, "Well, I wouldn't be able to prove that this guy or gal can code." Oh, here's a test I found on the internet. Uh, let me go ahead and slap that and see if they could see if they could do it. Right? right? It's just like a lack of creativity on 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 how to vet someone out if they could actually do the job or not. Um, it, it's it's infuriating. <laughs> I just, you know, because I've actually sat down you know, and nobody, you know, gone into an interview, no one says a word to me. They just hand me a piece of paper and they say, go take this. And I'm like, what? You know, and actually the couple <coughs> of times that I, that's happened to me. No one says, Hey, good to see you or anything like that. It's just take here, take this paper. Um, a couple people that's happened to me. And I've just, uh, the first time I just started doing it, I'm like, what am I doing this for? This is ridiculous. And I just, doing the paper and said this is not a place i want to work at and kind of walked out and then the second time that's happened to me i'd i'd even sit down and take it i'm like um if you're not going to talk to me before you want me to take this paper then i don't want to work for you and i walked out of that one
1: and i think that's totally fair yep totally totally fair i mean at least you could have a conversation right like hi my name is you know whatever whatever right and kind of you know talk to you about the environment and what we're going to do and what are some of the cool things and projects that we have on board right
0: yeah and and i think as you know in today's github days uh, us as developers they, they should know see our code already right i mean we should have contributions and and our own github you know repos that we're actually doing work in the public for so when someone comes you, you know the the last interview i did for for a previous employer um, I sat down and we started having a conversation and I started talking about one of the projects that I was doing he goes uh, I, I, I know that project I use it every day thank you for doing that I'm like really wow. oh what do you think about it and, and I start getting into you know how he uses it and things like that I'm like what can I make better and it just made the interview we had something to talk about right as opposed to walking in cold and, and he had no idea what I did
1: yeah, exactly. I think if you're gonna bring somebody in to have a conversation with them, I mean I'm not a fan of social media stalking, but I think you should do a little bit of research about the people that you're gonna to talk to.
0: I am totally a fan of social media stalking. For
1: sure. yeah, I I okay. yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't like that. But you yeah. know <laughs> I, I, um, I think if you're hiring developers particularly you know, see what they're doing on Stack Overflow or what they've done in the past on Stack Overflow. Look at their GitHub pages, look at their personal websites or blogs, or I don't know, maybe they even do
0: videos. So Zach, have you done any of those things currently to kind of make you stand out in front of the crowd so you don't have to sit down at the test anymore?
2: Oh, totally. Uh, I, I started doing YouTube videos. I have some videos on YouTube and Vimeo. I have this book that I just wrote called Breaking Into Consulting. Uh, www.breakingintoconsulting.com and that sort of serves as a proof that I can build a website that it's responsive that it has lots of functionality. I have a GitHub page. I absolutely recommend to any developer who wants to get into either full-time cons, cons- either consulting, part-time consulting or full-time employment to have an open source project. It's just great because not only does it have serve as like a conversation piece when you meet with a potential uh, development partner, but people will approach you out of the blue if you put some code up on the internet. Um, And the more prolific you are and the more valuable your software is, the more people will approach you and start offering you opportunities. I feel like the tech ecosystem is something very much where you get what you give. So, if you put in effort, and if you're not ready to start your own open source project, just contribute to someone else's. I mean, the, fa- the first way that I ever got into open source was I worked on some documentation. So, I didn't make a, a big feature contribution, I just fixed the documentation, made it easier to get started using the project. And, you know, that's a valuable contribution, gets your foot in the door. Helps you meet people. Your names appears in the GitHub commits, and it's a start.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's 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 a great way to to get started, particularly for folks that are a little intimidated, you know, about contributing code publicly. It's a, it's a great way to get in and become familiar with that particular project, right? Because I mean, if you got to write about it, you need to know how it works, right? And you need to kind of have that understanding of how the internals are cranking if you got to write documentation about it. And once you have that understanding, you know, your confidence level goes up a little bit. And now, okay, well if I could write this documentation, then maybe I could write some samples. And oh, if I could write the samples, then maybe I could actually start to dig into the source code now to see exactly what's happening here and the, and make we make some contributions from, from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I don't know one open source project that will turn down people to write documentation for them.
2: Uh, and I just wanna I just wanna riff on this. one um, of the biggest ways that I've been able to improve an engineering organization that I join is by investing a lot of time in the readme and getting started guide for all of the engineering organization software products that I use.
1: So Zach, since you're a consultant, do you have any particular focus that you consult on? like what is your you know like what's your expertise?
2: My expertise is mostly in helping early-stage startups build web applications. That is my niche. So my niche is web applications, and within that, it's for early-stage startups. So anywhere between uh, just an entrepreneur all the way to maybe about 200, 300 employees.
1: Okay, and I'm guessing that ties a little bit into your website, break it into consulting.com. So why don't you tell us a little bit about why is it that you decided to to focus on helping startups and early stage companies?
2: Sure. So the, re- the reason I focused on helping startups and early stage companies is because they're the ones who always ask me for help. I just sort of, it, it wasn't really something like intentional. I didn't consciously choose this market. But, um, it's really just a product of circumstance. I was born in the Bay area and I was around a lot of startups and that was just the ecosystem that I fell into. When I was 17, I got an internship working for a startup. I would go there after school and I, it was just, it was a really formative experience for me. I really loved it. And it just, it's what I fell into. And it's just because I happened to be in an area with a lot of startups. So it's uh, just coincidence more than anything.
1: So let's let's play a little game. Richie used to be a consultant. Yep. I am currently a consultant, and you help consultants, right? Yes. So, so I think I think we have an interesting dynamic of obviously very different experiences and probably even different approaches of of how we do what we do and how we achieve our goals. So let's pretend that we've just hired you, right, and now. I'm trying to figure out how can I increase my traction. How can I get more clients? Right. Okay, you know, Richie's also trying to do the same thing. Right? Sure. Like, what What advice would you give me?
2: Well, um, I have a checklist uh, that uh, I'd run through. I'd I'd first uh, ask you where you're currently getting your clients, and I'd try to figure out if there's a way to double down on what's already working. Okay. Like if. So, so I'll tell yeah.
1: you today that. Most of my clients, I have done zero advertising. Most of my clients have been word of mouth and friends. I have been booked up for, I don't know, months in advance. I haven't had an issue with downtime or anything like that. But I have no website. I tweet very randomly about random things and nothing that's (laughs) usually business related. But sure. at the same time, too, I understand at some point in time, I'm going to need to start doing marketing. I'm going to need to have an official website and have some official branding at some point. And, and maybe even at some point, I want to have my own products. right? And so what are some of the things that I could do now while things are still stable for me to kind of keep my momentum pushing forward and, and kind of keep you know, a steady, um, a steady pace of income and, and, and things like that?
2: Well, I'd start with uh, leveraging all these uh, friends who've been referring you work. I'd start compiling a list of references, testimonials, and getting quotes from everyone you've helped. Then I'd make sure that they're all added to your pages on social media, especially Facebook and LinkedIn. i tell you to change your LinkedIn headline to make sure that it advertises specifically your consultant so that whenever someone sees your profile activity, be it a comment you Write or a post that you like or even just visiting someone's page They get uh, a quick ad saying that you're a consultant and that comes from your headline your LinkedIn and Then I'd start thinking about ways to leverage all the social proof that you have you could make a Website very quickly. It doesn't need to be anything elaborate and you can throw up your testimonials there Um, but you can also ask that Your references write you recommendations on LinkedIn, so they appear in your LinkedIn profile, and you can start leveraging that. Uh, LinkedIn has a great thing where it shows people whom you have in common, so uh, you can really benefit from the social proof there.
1: So here's what's interesting. I'm very selective with the social interactions that I have, right? So I do things on Twitter. I... There's GitHub, obviously, for, for social coding. You know, there's Stack Overflow. I do not have a LinkedIn account. <gasps> and I have never seen... Did you hear boxes. me gasp? I heard you. And I, I, I want to have this conversation with you because... You okay, know, I, awesome. I, I saw it in your book. I know Richie has one. I don't have one. So that'll be one place where I think we differ in approaches a little bit. But um, I've never needed it. So <gasps> for me, again, I've done fine without one. Why would I need a LinkedIn profile? and What would it benefit me in this stage versus me just starting from scratch?
2: Sure. Well, uh, for many people these days, uh, a LinkedIn is replacing a resume. I know at least on the West Coast of the U.S., in the the Bay Area, they're asking people for their LinkedIn instead of a resume. So there's that shift. And then, you know, when you're emailing someone out of the blue or someone just hears about you and they want to check up on you to find out a little bit more about who you are, for me, I definitely check a developer's LinkedIn to see if we have any path to connections because that way I can sort of get an intuitive feel for whether they're a good contributor. Am I connected to them through people who I know who are competent? Am I connected, how am I connected to them? And uh, it can be very helpful. People post job opportunities on LinkedIn, the social feed. So, uh, to summarize, the benefits are one, this opens you up to connect to people who like to deal primarily on LinkedIn. Two, new clients are gonna check your LinkedIn page if you have one, and because LinkedIn has such good SEO for their domain, then it's going to be a high-ranking Google result for your name. And three, LinkedIn has a references and recommendation system where you can record all the testimonials that you've already received from your happy clients who've been generating referrals and word of mouth onto your profile. So that's a way you can quickly build credibility for yourself without having to go to the work of building your own website.
1: I think maybe that would be the one interesting aspect of it for me would be the you know the the verification and the vetting out and the and the testimonials from other people because again i i go on stack overflow and stack overflow shows me tons of jobs right and you know i have other people that refer me and i always find the word of mouth um the word of mouth referrals to be a lot more concrete like they usually lead to somewhere a lot faster than versus going through um some of these other channels that are available to you, um, Richie. How how has LinkedIn been for you? Uh,
0: I never got anything from LinkedIn, but I never wor- worked it hard at all, which is part of the reason I'm not a consult independent consultant anymore, <laughs> which is why okay. I'm uh, I- I'm gleefully employed. Um, I-, I think for for me, uh, I got into that trap of I had one big client, and I never. Uh, got my website really going. I never really blogged too much. Um, I, I never did marketing or did any networking or anything like that. And when the uh, I decided to leave the, the big client, there really wasn't much left. I had you know some smaller stuff that, that, that came through for a few months, but there was nothing really there. And after about a month of me uh, just say, hey, I'm going to work on the business and the marketing. I'm going to do all this other stuff. And me and after the next month doing the same thing. And my wife kind of looked at me and it's like, who was in sales? And so she knows what the things that you need to be doing to be selling. She goes, you need to get yourself a real job. <laughs> okay. Because you don't like doing the things that you need to be done to run a business. And I'm like, yep, you're exactly right let me get a real job so uh, I decided to go back uh, mainly not because of the of the failure uh, I don't I don't consider myself a failure in the business it's just I realized that I didn't like doing a lot of the businessy stuff and I what I really like to do is code and that's what I really wanted to do I, I wanted to mess with databases and write software and anything that kind of distracted me from that I, I just w- wasn't happy doing it
1: and I think you bring up a very valuable point, right? You need to, to know as, a, as an as a employee, as a business person, what are the things that you want to do, you're willing to do, what are the things that are, you're happy doing, right? Like if you're not somebody that's going to want to do the sales and the marketing part of it, and, and those two particularly are very unnatural for developers to do.
2: Can I just say something though? Sure. I have to say. Sure. It's a lot easier to teach a developer sales and marketing than it is to teach a sales and marketing person
0: software. Oh, sure.
1: I, I agree with that. <laughs> Tremendously. No, I I definitely agree with that. But from the, from a developer's side, developers are usually very opinionated people in my experience. And when they know you're wrong, when they don't want to do something, it's it's not going to happen, man.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right.
1: You know, if they don't want to do it, it's 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 you know, it'll become very difficult.
2: There's and, a big and, thing uh, that I just want to say is true. just really tough, and that is, if you're going to be a consultant, if you're going to be independent, and you want to grow your business, you're going to have to um, be okay with rejection. It's going sure. to happen, yep. and it's there's like I just read a study that uh, says rejection is uh, physically painful in the same way that a physical injury can be. It activates the same part of the brain. So I will say that there is pain involved in rejection and in consulting, it's gonna happen. I think my rate is for every 10 cold approaches I do to a client, I'll get one meeting and out of every 10 meetings, I'll get one lucrative deal. So that means I'm reaching out 100 times and getting rejected 99 times in order to get that one juicy contract, so if you're not comfortable living in the world of rejection and understanding that it's a numbers game, you have to roll up your sleeves, put in the work, and a lot of the outreach you're going to do is, you know, going to fall flat um, for various reasons, both uh, in terms of your sales abilities and in terms of the client's needs, whether they're actually a good match for you. It's uh, it's it's cumbersome absolutely and if and if that's not the kind of thing that excites you that it, then it's not the right path for you some people like live on it like i enjoy the thrill of the chase in like a sort of twisted way i like i, <laughs> I i'm like it's like it's it's not fun but in a way it is um and you have to be wired for that but uh That, you know, it's anyone can learn how to do it, it's just the question is whether anyone will enjoy it. And for a lot of people, it's a lot less fun and a lot less psychologically rewarding than writing code and building something from scratch. It's a different kind of challenge, and it's a different skill set. But it's... it's understandable how it can be just really a lot more fun to write code and get things done and only have to depend on the compiler working as documented rather than dealing with complex right. variables of uh, you know human emotions, corporate dynamics, financing, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Right. And Zach, I think those are very good points that you're making. And, and with that, I, I kind of want to go back to your book that you have. So you have 30 days to your first freelance programming client, right? And, you know, one of the points that you mentioned that we already spoke about was, you know, updating your LinkedIn profile. But you have a lot of other interesting points in here, too, that I think are really, um, really interesting. I have a checklist
2: in front of me. I'd love to run through them and chat about each one with you. And Yeah, sure. Let's do that.
1: that. Why don't we do that and kind of talk about some of the things that you have in there?
2: Cool. Okay. So one is Meetup so that I recommend going to meetups in your area. There's a bunch of tech meetups in most of the major cities and even some of the smaller cities, and uh, networking with people.
1: Have you yeah, guys done been... any meetups? Well, Richie, have you? Do you know anything about uh, this I, I run.
0: Thing? I run one. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> we run uh, .NET Miami, and uh, we are a technical group for developers here in the South Florida area.
2: So I get a fair amount of consulting lead gen from meetups, either people on meetup meetups or through meetup mailing lists. People will send out freelancing job opportunities through the meetup mailing list. I, If you're interested, I recommend taking advantage of your ownership of that group. And, uh, you know, I, you know, if you feel comfortable with that, I don't know if you want to – if you feel that's like an abuse of power, but, you know, however you want to set the tone, uh, it can be very valuable. There's a lot of businesses here in New York City that generate a majority of their consulting work through giving lectures at meetups. So they go to the meetup, they present on a topic, they establish themselves as an authority, and then people come to them later, they give out a business card, and then later they call them up and ask them for help. That's, uh, that's, that's one thing you can do. I recommend always having business cards when you go to the meetups. Uh, moo.com can be a great way to print them. Um, but don't be the only guy giving out your business card if, you know because developers can be fickle. You know some people just want to do LinkedIn connections or so they want to do Twitter or Facebook. So don't be the one guy with biz- or lady with a business card. But I recommend being prepared uh, that way. And I just want to say one thing about speaking at meetups, you know, there's a lot of developers have this myth that like, at some point, you become like this guru developer, maybe you're born with it, or maybe, you know, you achieve some magical transformation or whatever. And suddenly people start inviting you to speak. And you're this in demand speaker. I think it's actually the contrary. It's, if there's something you want to talk about, you can proactively reach out to meetup organizers and many of them are happy to have you give a talk and that can be a great way to boost credibility and meet clients.
1: No, I definitely think that's a good idea and networking in general is is a really good way for you to just go out and meet people and and even if you're not generating, you know, leads from it, it's a great place to just go out and learn. Uh, sometimes that's that's kind of just what even you need to kind of give you the inspiration that will push you forward to, you know, making you be where you you want to be. And one thing I want to
2: say about networking is that something I've learned about that is that anytime I've met someone at a networking event and just enjoyed hanging out with them, just being in their presence, that has led to positive opportunities. Anytime I felt like I was going through the grind of politeness or just, you know, listening and then, you know, trying to, you know, working that super hard, it hasn't worked out as well. Right. So I just, I feel like human emotion and just your intuition about people are super important here.
1: Sounds good, man. What else you got on the list?
2: Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, social media profiles. So Facebook, LinkedIn, and angel.co. Uh, are you Be familiar honest.
1: with it? No. What is what is that? What does that do?
2: So AngelList is a website where startups list themselves and uh, network with venture capitalists and angel investors. So uh, there are anywhere startups anywhere from like being pre-funded all the way to like late-stage Series C startups. Like I believe Airbnb is on AngelList.
1: Oh, nice. Okay.
2: So AngelList um, has jobs with startups. You know that you can apply to jobs, but uh, you can also meet early-stage entrepreneurs who are willing to work with you to just because they can't pay you a salary, they'll just do a consulting gig with you. To, right. you know, have you build their minimum viable products and you can either for cash or for equity, uh, convertible debt is something that I've used in the past where, uh, you know, uh, they owe you money once they get funded. And at that point they either write you a check or they convert it to stock. Um, so that's a, uh, that's a channel. Another channel is blogging, uh, making a, a website and a blog and then. You know, once you write an article about a technical topic, you really have to put the word out there. So submit it to news aggregators, submit it to Hacker News, news submit it to Reddit, the appropriate technology subreddits, uh, programming subreddit, and uh, publish it on your Facebook, on your Twitter with a bunch of hashtags, publish it on LinkedIn and that way you can drive some traffic to the article and then it'll get picked up by the search engines. And soon enough, you'll have people who just find you organically on Google.
1: I think um, content generation, because that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit is, is generating content, right? I think content generation is vitally important, particularly when you're you're starting out and particularly if you're by yourself, right? Like so if you, you write blog posts or, you know, you interact with people on You know, message boards, or, you know, again, you write articles or even create videos and, you know, things like that to kind of, you know, create a a funnel of, of content. Right. And then once people are starting to see you around at a particular topic and they're like, oh, hey, I need a guy that does, um, startup mentorship hey do you know somebody oh yeah you know let's go call zach like he's he does tons of stuff he has great videos great articles and oh here look i have his number because he gave me my his business card right like let me let me go give him a call you know and and that's kind of how it it starts or for me that's kind of how it you know it i've been seeing things go and probably another reason why i don't have a linkedin profile right because (laughs) you know i'm seeing some of these other things as a more direct way of interacting and and, and seeing them to be a lot more um, a lot more beneficial, I suppose.
2: I have to say, you got to double down on the channels that work for you.
1: Of course, right?
2: It's the eighty twenty rule in action. Eighty percent of your results are going to come from twenty percent of your activities. So, what are those twenty percent? If from you. Uh, so, uh, I recommend absolutely doubling down on that and, uh, you know, just working on collecting those, uh, references and, you know, doing something formal with them, like either making a list of them, you know, getting their testimonials for your website, um, asking them for LinkedIn recommendations or even proactively reaching out to them and asking if they can refer you to more people because that will work. And another thing you can do is get a bunch of your ex-clients all together for like a networking event, throw a pizza party, and good things will come of that. Clients like to meet each other.
1: No, definitely. And again, just creating that social environment that everybody's together and comfortable, you know what I mean, and talking and sharing ideas is, is always a good thing, right?
2: Like what you and Richie are doing with the away From Keyboard.
1: Yeah, see, there you go. Except we don't make any money off of this. Nope. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Um, (laughs) Why don't you tell people, if they need to get in contact with you, if they want to learn about your books and some of the other things that you're doing, like, where's a good place for them to reach out?
2: uh, I'll I'll love to tell you. It's uh, uh, my website, www.breakingintoconsulting.com. I'll give you all the links so we can check them out on the website for the show. Sure, sounds good. Uh, Uh, And, you know, my Twitter is there. All my my content, my email address is there. All my contact info is on the website. I'm very easy to get a hold of. Um, I'm, like, very open book. You can, like, Skype me or text me or catch me in the Slack channel. Uh, There's a Slack channel for the people who've read the book. Uh, I should send you guys invitations if you want to show up. If you don't, no big deal. But we post uh, freelance jobs in there sometimes. Oh, we have – We have this new freelance jobs board that I built. I should probably talk about that a little bit if you guys don't mind.
1: Yeah, go for it.
2: I uh, wrote a bunch of scrapers to scrape freelance jobs off of Craigslist and off of Reddit, a whole bunch of different reddits. And, uh, you know, like three or four other sources on top of that. And I have this whole system where it scrapes the job. And then if you want, you can get an email notification, um, when it, a new job is posted that matches your keywords. It's all very new. It's like in beta. And uh, yeah, so if anyone is out there and looking for work, you know, I'm building like all the tools you need so that if this is something you want to do, then we'll make it easy for you.
1: We'd like to thank Zach for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with her. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTK podcast and on Twitter at AFTK podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S.
0: You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. If you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From People.
1: Next on the way from the keyboard, we'll have entrepreneur, problem solver, and software developer, Mr. Derek Bailey.
0: Dude, I enjoyed this con- that conversation, man. That conversation was amazing.
1: It was pretty... We need to have him to come back and talk about video games. That's oh. going to be a very cool conversation.
0: Oh, I know. I know. And, you know, someone who hasn't played a lot of video games because he had to grow up. <laughs> I'd have to learn more about it.
1: Uh, dude, you know what? You, you need to get yourself a Switch. I Play do. Some Zelda. Do you know
0: someone who had one? Or two?
1: Uh maybe.
0: Yeah, that would be you, Cecil Phillips.
1: Maybe. Didn't
0: hook a brother up.
1: I have one I could give you right now if you want.
0: <laughs> Is it the neon blue and pink thing?
1: Nah man, I got the green one.
0: Uh, see, that's, that's, that's how you do it. That's I good. guess I'm
1: gonna, uh, I'll black everything, man. I'm not into that colorful stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gonna pick one up. I'm, I'm cause i because I want to play the new Zelda. Period. End of story. We want to thank you for listening to Away from the Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
1: you know from listening to people online like that's all they're talking about well one that's the only game that's worth talking about on it but i mean
0: i don't know when last a launch title got this much buzz uh right? it it took a while for halo um uh, combat evolved to to get that buzz it wasn't immediate it wasn't like now right yeah but i well, think that's the last one i could think of that had you need to play this game was was Halo Halo Combat Evolved yeah
1: i think the difference with, with that too is that halo didn't have any history versus there's tons of yeah. legend of zelda history right so yeah. there's there's really expectations there
0: yeah well and you know the xbox was microsoft never had a console out there before um it, the the other thing that i think it completely um re it it put first person shooters on the console, right? As opposed you know, Goldeneye was nice, but it it, the controls were very awkward. They were they were kinda clunky. Halo was the first F first person shooter that I ever played that oh my gosh, this worked really well with the console. Before that I was like, oh complete forget it. It's everything's PC, right? First person shooters, PC, PC, PC. But Halo completely changed my mind. Yeah, it's
1: so funny how important the controls are. Yeah. Right? Like the, the level of flexibility and the fluidity of the movement is so important.
0: Yep. It it, it that that game I love that game. I, I remember after the University of Miami lost in the um national championship game against uh Ohio State, I think it was a two thousand two, when they were stolen from them. <laughs> uh, I think I played the entire campaign, like the entire game that, that next day, I think I woke up like six o'clock in the morning and I just played the entire day, right? Wow. All the way through the night. And I just beat the whole entire game. And, nice. I, I mean, and my wife, I think watched all of the Lord of the Rings movies all the way throughout. She just, <laughs> that's when you, you got to keep room. Her. I was in the other and we didn't talk the, the entire day. We were just, we're going to mourn in our own ways.
1: That's funny. Oh, hey man, the family that plays together stays together,
0: man. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm the switch is definitely on my radar. I, I'm gonna need need to get that. It's just, yeah. When am I gonna time? Like, look, look what we're doing, man. Look at all the stuff that's going on. I mean, WordCamp and, uh, and, freaking Orlando Code Camp and I'll be at Serverless conf. I mean, there's just so much going down, man. Yeah. And again, my Xbox already is a
1: glorified Netflix machine, so <laughs> the last thing I need is another Netflix machine.
0: May I introduce you to a $50 Roku device? I'm saying, right? Like, like nowadays,
1: you, you get that shit built into the TV, man. Like, <laughs> I don't need another box, man. Just give me the TV. Oh, uh, well, the problem TV. with the
0: TV one is that they're usually pretty slow, man. I mean, they're... Are they? Yeah? Yeah. I just... Oh, that sucks. I'm, I'm not... I mean, even, even like the Blu-ray, like, I have a Samsung Blu-ray that has it, and it's just...
1: So, speaking about TVs, so this is why I don't buy, this is why I refuse to buy an expensive TV. Uh, and some of you may or may not agree with me, but anyway, I went to Best Buy this weekend with Cameron. And I saw there's a 60 inch Samsung Smart LED TV, and it's for like, it was like $689. And I'm like, I remember maybe two years ago, you know, a family friend of mine. Bought a TV for $3,000. Wasn't 60 inch. It was like 55 inches.
0: Was it a 4K?
1: It was It was a 3D TV. This was before 4K. This was like a, th- well, not before, but you know, before they were as popular as thing, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like a 3D TV, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, they didn't even sell 3D TVs anymore as far as I know. At least I haven't seen any. And um, But it was like $3,000, dude. But now there's a bigger TV a smart TV with probably tons more features in it for not even like like a quarter of the price. Like, where the hell would I ever spend $3,000 on a freaking TV? Like, that's crazy.
0: Was was that a 4K? It was a 4K LED, Samsung. Wow. wow. You, know, you know, the one thing that I've kind of noticed is you kind of have to see how many inputs a lot of these have because some of the lower-end models... They'll chimp out. They'll skimp out on the inputs, right? Oh, so, so you'll have like a, two
1: HDMI inputs yeah. versus like
0: three or four. I got it. And then no USB ports. I got Yep. Yep. Those type of those type of things. And so, it, it, the, and the difference between the models won't be a lot, but except that that it was additional HDMI ports, and you're like, oh hell no, yeah. <laughs> I have to spend another five hundred dollars just for An two, HDMI two additional HDMI ports. Come on. Come on, right? No,
1: I get it. I get it. But it's just so crazy, man. Like right now, I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for a monitor for the security system. Um, oh, okay. Because um, not for the security for the for the cameras. So the house came with cameras, um, but to look at the cameras, you need uh, you know, a a monitor, right? Um, but the way that it's set up, the monitor has to be mounted on the wall. Um, in the bedroom and I just haven't gotten around to mounting the mounting part yet Mm -hmm. so so I I think I have some I have a couple of hours this weekend of free time I might see how I could go and get some of the stuff mounted up we'll see we'll see what happens
0: yeah for a second there I thought you were looking for a a display for your machine and I'm like oh I've got one
1: (laughs) yeah I saw yours yours looks pretty nice
0: yeah, I'm. Thank you, thank you, Brando's Art Limited, for uh, paying for my uh, $1,500 LG uh, 38-inch curved monitor. Nice. Appreciate that.
1: Thank you, Souza.
0: <laughs> Thanks, boss. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and my 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 old 23-inch panels. I had two of them. They were getting pretty long in the tooth. I mean, they was like eight years old. What did you do with those? Did you sell them or? I gave one to my mom, and she put it in her uh, center. Um, she runs a pregnancy center, so she put it there. And the other oh, one okay. I've, I've just got. I just need to do something with it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I may just give it to her so she'll have two and and whatnot. But I still have my, my display stand. And that's the one thing that I wish. Um, I wish I had a better... Arm. I bought. I spent a hundred dollars on an arm, and it it gives me. You know, I've got tilt. I've got swivel. I got pull out. I've got everything I want. But I tap on the the desk a little bit, and it kind of shakes a bit. Oh, um, gotcha. It's a little annoying. Um, I kind of live with it, but it the problem is more my desk, right? Because I have a two legged standing desk, and if you really want stability, you need a four and i'm not getting rid of my desk anytime soon so right maybe maybe next year maybe next year i'll i'll get that but for right now it's i'm I'm gonna buy a new phone at the end of the year and that's kind of will be the end of my budget Oh yeah, you going to the i7 i'm gonna go to the, the 7s yeah nice yeah it's 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 time so like every two years i'll i'll upgrade the phone and yeah. same thing with the hardware, upgrade to hardware. But I think I'm gonna hold on to this machine for another year and a half. I think this will last three years.
1: Your laptop? Yeah, your laptop will be fine. I'm not worried, yeah. about. Be worried about
0: it. Yeah, cause I'm not pegging it. It's not, it's, it's doing well. I just added more memory to it. So now I'm at 32. You know, the only thing I may do is get, get a terabyte of a hard drive. But other than that, it's, it's been, it's been pretty solid.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about a um,
0: couple things I want to do.
1: I want to swap out the the hard drive in this laptop and put in a bigger one. So this one has two fifty six in it. And oh it's, yeah. Um, i have been like teetering on that. Sometimes well, doing, it's forty gig, sometimes it's twenty gig left. Like you're, you're doing you're <laughs> doing video now. I do. So what essentially what happens every time I finish a course, I have a two terabytes. Um, Western Digital yeah, and I just the minute I'm done, I just take it all off. yeah, so this course I'm doing now is already at um, 36 gigs of, yeah. of video right and so I yeah, the minute it's done,
0: I'm just I just offload it
1: <laughs> to free up space
0: yeah, I need to do all that with the audio, and if there's a, a good way that I could upload it to Azure cold storage to do yeah. that, but the last time I tried, it just it just fails <laughs> miserably. I did it with the command line, and it just went, poof, like, yeah. oh, crap. Yeah, dude, that's video eats up storage. And it's not only just the
1: the recording, because when you edit, it duplicates files too, right? Because um, at least yep. with Camtasia, because you have the ability to reset and go back to the start of time, essentially. And so it, it stores a lot of those in- intermediate recordings, or at least some of them anyway. So even after I blow away the um the actual record project, like there'll be like these little artifacts left on the disc that I'll need to go in and remove.
0: Oh. Whoa.
1: Yeah. It, they take up a lot of space. A lot of space. Yeah. For a course you could easily you could easily blow fifty fifty, sixty gigs on
0: on a course. <coughs> pretty, yeah. Pretty I I wanna do some video, but I don't I think that's gonna be like the back half of the year if I do anything. It's just trying to stay focused <laughs> and yeah. in in, in kind of what I'm doing and just kinda grinding out this uh, product and it's like uh just grind, 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 grind. Yeah, what are you working on now, dude? Uh, I what? can't say, but it's a serverless <laughs> product. <laughs> okay. Um no JS, <laughs> okay. AWS Cloud. And, um, it's, it's going to be pretty cool when it's done, but, um, I kind of,